the time I edit this down, it's gonna be two minutes of content. <laughs> posture my heart in myself. I actually do. You need to posture yourself closer to this microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of To Be Honest. I am very excited about the guest that I have with me today. Uh, today I have my good friend, Sophia. You know what I said earlier? <laughs> Is I've never said your last name until today. Yeah, she didn't. Sophia DeSalvo. She got it. She got it. <laughs> DeSalvo. Um, you are not Brazilian. In fact, I am not. Which is where you, you know what we had a um, a moment the other day where you were kind of racially profiled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I won't go into detail, but something was said to her um, by somebody who just good intentions. Yeah, just to be clear, I'm not <laughs> Brazilian. I'm not Hispanic. <laughs> I am, in fact, full blood Italian. Italian. So, Italian. She is Italian. But yeah, something was said. <laughs> her the other day and I just looked at her with this look on my face like oh my gosh that just <laughs> happened it was a it was really a connecting moment for yeah. us it was just an eye contact thing where yeah. we both just knew and we we're like well I this had, is gonna be a great story to tell. I had to look away immediately though because I was like <laughs> I if I stare at you for one more second I'm gonna start dying laughing yeah anyway Sophia and I have known each other for what Three years? I think, like three and a half, almost four years. So three and a half, almost four years. Um, I don't remember the first time that we actually met. I think we were just around each other yeah. a lot. Um, and, yeah, cool story, dude. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, we don't really have the the first time we met. We, we don't really have a story. I can remember when I first started seeing you around, um, someone, one of my mentors was asking me if I had, like, another, like, girl mentor. And I was like, you know, Pastor Celeste is, like, really cool. Like, I, am I allowed to say Pastor Celeste? <laughs> <laughs> you just ruined this whole episode. I'm just kidding. I was like, wait, do we do, do we use titles in here? <laughs> no, you're, you're Um, fine. but when, when we were, we were talking about you, I was like, she's so cool, though. She would never talk oh, to me. And, and then you would, like, talk to me, and you were yeah. so disappointed. No! <laughs> no, I, someone shoved me into an office room, and they went, and they got you, put me in the same room, and then shut the door, and told me, like, ask her to be your mentor. So I'm sitting there, and I asked her, I was like, I think you're really cool, um, and I'm not, but would you want to get coffee sometime? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my um, dreams were shattered that day, but now no, we're here. It's a great story of redemption, <laughs> so. No, that was, yeah, that was like three and a half years ago, right? Yeah, crazy. And then, so what happened from there is basically from the moment that I met, from the moment that I met you, I knew that there was something really special in your life. And I, we had our youth summer camp right, coming yeah, up. Yeah, And I, um kind of lied to you a little bit well I didn't lie to you I basically no I did lie you you did not a little bit you fully lied I fully lied fully lied but it's totally redeemed because I did it because I knew that it would push you out of your comfort yeah, zone and you yeah. would have never done it so basically what I did was I told Sophia I was like hey can you lead a small group at mm -hmm. the summer camp 
and I said it'll be just a girl small group and she was really nervous about it but she was like yes you know I'll do it well do you want to share with the people what happened <laughs> when we actually got there yeah yeah I I think up until that point I had only been a, like a youth leader with the ministry for a month maybe I had like started in June or something so I had not been involved with it for that long but Celeste did ask me and she in fact said small group mm-hmm. so small group definition it was a, it, it there was it was not a large group I will say that <laughs> you are capping still <laughs> she it's a small group is a circle of maybe eight to ten individuals so I I showed up there like that morning and honestly like I tried to prep something but I had I had something in my iPad like from a while ago and I was like I think this would sound good I wasn't really sure and then I wa- I walked into like the room stage and so there was a stage all the chairs were set up in an audience like fashion and I started taking in all of <laughs> all of the things I was seeing and then Celeste was standing by the sound with your microphone with the microphone yeah. and she she walked up to me and she handed me the microphone and she was like hey She's like, you aren't, you're on in five, Red Bull probably want to do a mic check. And I was like, what? <laughs> I said, and I said, no. I, I said, no. I was like, no, it's a small group. I was like, yes. Yeah. And yes, she, you are. she just kept like handing it to me and I was like, okay. And then I just like did it. I don't, it was, I don't know. Uh, it was incredible. So she um, got up and spoke and I literally texted Brent when when as you were speaking. So crazy. And oh I gosh. said, I was like, this girl has it. Like, she has it. She just does. And that was really our first... I mean, that was our first time doing ministry together. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, yeah, and then the rest was history from yeah. there. Yeah, it's and really crazy. I'm proud to say that I was not wrong about you. <laughs> at all. Celeste, I always say, whenever I talk about, like, now, like, what I do and what I love to do... I feel like a lot of people are like on the search sometimes or they have that gift inside of them but it takes someone to just call it out in them a lot of the times because you don't have enough confidence to call it out in yourself and Celeste was like the one person who did that for me and like I would not be anywhere doing anything I am now without her just like shoving a microphone into my hand and (laughs) saying like you you just need to. You have to do this. I'm that friend from those videos where they're like, I don't I don't want to jump. I don't want to do this clip <laughs> jump. I don't wanna... And then they shove them off. And yeah. They either get injured mm-hmm. and are like severely <laughs> broken for the rest of their lives or it's the yeah. greatest experience that they've ever had. And yeah. I'm so happy that I'm... the risk and the chance that I took on you was like the greatest thing ever. So be careful when you pray to have somebody on your team Whatever it is that you do, if you're, um, if you work in the business world or the ministry world, whatever it is, I prayed for Sophia before she came to us, and I prayed that God would send us, would send our team somebody that was better than me. That's what I prayed. I prayed Stop. like God send us somebody who connects better with youth than I do. Send us somebody who's, you know, somebody whose ceiling is. Wait, I'm about to butcher this. I'm about to straight up George Bush this. Fool me once. George Bush. Fool me. You fool me once, you can't get fooled again. Um, some, 
What it, the what's that? What is that saying? You, you my ceiling. You, you, okay, my ceiling yeah. is your floor. Okay, yes, yeah, <laughs> you got it. You got it. You got this, G. You got uh, this. Yeah, I prayed that some that God would send us somebody who's who's my ceiling is there for, and God a hundred percent did that with Sophia. So it's been really cool. We've um, got to do ministry together the past couple of years. We've had a lot of fun together. Actually, I thought it would be fun to share some of those fun. Um, <laughs> Memories that we've had together over the past few years. So, oh um, Sophia, what is your favorite <laughs> fun memory that we've had? You know, like, a lot of people, I feel like when they share their fun memories with, like, each other, like, remember that one time we went to the movies and, like, we snuck in Chick-fil-A? Okay, me and Celeste are nothing like that. <laughs> in fact, we're the exact polar opposite, and that's why I love it. But one of my favorite memories was we we had a youth bonfire oh in the gosh. summer one night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we were, like, cleaning up. We had just wrapped up, like, leaders and kids were leaving or whatever. And we were walking back to our cars. <laughs> and Celeste was like, ooh, I got to fart. And I was like, heard you wouldn't. And her shoe, like, as she <laughs> was walking back, it, like, made this squeaking noise. And I thought that was the fart. And I was like, oh, that was kind of weak, whatever. But then, <laughs> all I hear... My shoe said, hold my beer. <laughs> literally, literally. And then all I hear is this, like, jetpack-esque, <laughs> like, massive blow of a fart. Yeah. And loud. I, I loud, like, loud, loud. was... I was bent over, like, <laughs> dying of laughter, and my Celeste was walking over towards me to make sure I was okay, and I was like, no, are you okay? You know, the funny thing is, there's there's a couple of things that are funny about this. The first thing is, usually when somebody says that, like, oh, I have to fart, they don't follow through. Yeah, they don't. Um, like, they don't commit, but... If I, I have IBS, I'm not afraid to say that. And yeah. if that makes you uncomfortable, I'm sorry that that, yeah. that makes you uncomfortable. How do you think that makes me feel when I am literally just having a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden I know that I'm, if I don't get you a bathroom in one second, I'm going to have yeah. a full on along came Polly moment, Ben yeah. Stiller, when they eat oh, at the yeah. restaurant. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's, that's my, that's my situation. But the funny, the other funny thing about that is that. Brent just kept walking. He didn't he did. even it didn't <laughs> did phase it? him at yeah. all. Brent was literally around and he was the most unfazed human yeah. being after hearing this ground shaking like <laughs> fart that happened. He just kept walking. Yeah. Didn't even look at me like didn't. just he was just like, oh mm-hmm. completely unbothered. I will say I don't know and Brent and I are the f- most farting couple I've ever met. It's kind I of mean, awesome. It's just <laughs> constant back. It's and inspiring, forth. it really moves me. <laughs> <There's> like, <laughs> I know people who, like, don't fart in front of their husbands or, or whatever. And those people probably don't have IBS, so good for you. Keep that up. But Or people who just don't fart at all. I, I have people who just, like, friends, and they're like, there's yeah, I don't no fart. Way. There's no That's, way. I'm convinced that there's no way, but I'm, I don't know. <laughs> they literally say, I don't fart, and I'm like, can't relate. If you've never <laughs> farted in front of your spouse, wh- where do you go? <laughs> what do you do? Do you just say, like... I'm gonna go get the mail every hour, every, every 30 ten minutes, seconds. every like yeah. In my case, every ten seconds. <laughs> like what? I don't, I don't understand it. Whatever, to each their own. That's fine. But it's funny because the other night, Brent and I were, um, we were sleeping. It was like three a.m. I told you this story. Oh, this is oh yes, this is gold. This is gold. And I 
we're never going to get to today's content. It's okay. Um, but I literally, like, I crawled into bed, and I, like, <laughs> I rolled over, and I farted, but it was so, so high-pitched. Like, <laughs> so high-pitched. It sounded like a, like a whimper or, like, a little scream. And <laughs> Brent wakes up. And he starts like shaking me, like my arm. Because he thought, he thought a nightmare. And he goes, Babe, babe, are you okay? Are you okay? And I said, Yes. I just farted. <laughs> it's 3 a.m. and we're laying there, like laughing, crying. We both fully awake, just woke up and start dying laughing. Because it was, it was like a. <laughs> in this episode but it's not even about the content that we're oh, talking about. oh my gosh i know we're talking about one of the most serious things here i yeah. don't even know how to shift gears yeah um okay <laughs> so, you know how how you were saying you woke up this morning like 5 30 a.m yeah. praying about this okay i woke up at 5 30 a.m thinking about that story <laughs> i'm not kidding you i'm being so serious i like woke up and i was like <laughs> Because I could just, like, hear Brent's, like, laugh in my head. Like, oh the, the sleepy yeah, laugh. He just where started. Where he's just like, <laughs> yeah. That's exactly <laughs> Oh, my gosh. At this point, people are, like, hitting that 15-second fast forward button. <laughs> yeah. They're like, when is this They're like, are they going to end? Are they real? <laughs> Please skip forward to yeah. the episode. So, um, one thing that about today's episode, I think really, which I think Sophia and I were mm-hmm. really passionate about this. Yeah before. So a couple months ago, Sophia and I were at a youth event together. And at the end of the night, we took probably 25 girls into this room. And we were, they were all sharing just kind of what God had done in their life that night and that week. And um, it was probably 90% of the girls Mm -hmm. that began opening up about how not having a father or having an having a father, but having a father who's emotionally absent Mm -hmm. has affected them. And the pain was so real. Like these girls were just, they were sobbing and they were messed up. And, um, for Sophia and I, we kind of joke, but like, we feel like we have not slept since July. Yeah. (laughs) Like since this happened, because it just, it wrecked us. Yeah. And we decided, the, the crazy thing about that room is that it was the minority mm-hmm. of the room had a good relationship with their fathers. Yeah. That was the minority. It was probably, what did we say? So there were, there were probably <clears throat> about 25 girls in this, like, dorm room. We were in a part of, like, our devotional nighttime conversations. And this was, this was the last night of camp. So, like, God had done a lot of work in their hearts. Mm-hmm. And they were just opening up about their stories. But 19 out of, like, 25 of those girls were the ones who, who did not have a father mm-hmm. present in their lives. Yeah. So we decided we, we wanted to talk about this yeah. on, a bigger, on a bigger platform. And um, so today's episode is titled, To Be Honest, The Fatherless Generation Are Hurting More Than You Think. And we wanted to title it this because we wanted to share how what's happening in our culture today, or a lot of what's happening, can be pointed back mm-hmm. to 
a fatherless generation. And we believe that this is something that doesn't just affect the next generation, but it affects you even if you don't identify um, with the fatherless generation. And we'll get into that. And we wanted every, every single parent who might be listening to know that this episode is in no way intended to mm-hmm. discourage anyone. Um, there are single moms at home who are just absolutely killing it and doing an incredible job with their sons and with their daughters. But um, we also know that you can't be both. Mm -hmm. You can't be both a mother and a father to your child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's not to... That's not to pull anything away from you or shame you at all. Honestly, I grew up with a single mom and I have such a heart for single moms and all they do because truly people don't know the depths that they go to to just be a parent to their children, whether that's a daughter or a son. I talk about my mom day and night and how much of a warrior and a fighter and amazing she is. So know like if you are a single mom or or just a single parent out there, like know how incredible you are and mm-hmm. know that you are doing everything you can right now and that is so 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 enough that is so enough just showing up for your kids alone is what makes a difference in their lives yeah and Sophia and I have talked about this even though our stories are are different um they do point to the same outcome which is not having Mm -hmm. a father yeah and we I um it was very difficult for me to lose my father at 17 that was that was extremely difficult However, I do think it would have been even more difficult to still have a father, but a father who didn't want anything to do with me or who wasn't, um, who wasn't even just a situation where my father wasn't the father that I had, Mm. you know, like I would never want to do that over. I would never want to, if I had a dad who's there to walk me down the aisle, there to see my kids born, all those things, but it wasn't the same relationship that I had with my dad for the 17 years that I did, then Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want it, you know? Um, And then your story is different, but also the same outcome. I mean, as far as being in the fatherless generation, being a part of that generation. Yeah, yeah. And we, we, me and Celeste talk about often how our stories are very, they're very different in the, in the ways that we didn't have a father in our lives when it started, but they're also the same, and it points in the same direction. But for me, I I had a dad who was, like, physically present, but he, he would come into my life and come out of my life very just periodically, and he was never actually there. And when I was 17, that's when everything changed for me, and he kind of just walked out on my life, and that was the forever moment where I was like, man, I don't, I don't know when I'm going to see, talk to him, or even be with him again, and that was the moment that really changed me and shifted everything. Yeah, and we are, um, we found some statistics which are extremely eye-opening, and these are all youth statistics, yeah, not adult statistics. Which is the crazy thing, too, because when... When I was looking them up to get some background information for this, to get some get some real numbers going, none of them were, some of them were talking about, like, adult life statistics, but most of them were targeted towards youth, like, targeted towards teenagers, like, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. So, the first stat that we found is that 63% of all youth suicides happen to children in fatherless homes. 69% of youth from fatherless homes are more likely to use drugs. of youth from fatherless homes are more likely to commit crimes. 
85% of youths in prison come from fatherless homes. 75% of rapists motivated or motivated by displaced anger don't have a father. 75% of youth without fathers struggle with mental illness. One thing that we know is that it's the enemy's plan to break down the family unit, to take mothers out of the home, to take fathers out of the home. And why is it so important that a father is in a home? Because you might be thinking, like, it's, you know, there are so many different ways to raise a family Mm -hmm. in 2021. Yeah, yeah. And um, our culture has made that very clear. But the reason why it's so important that a father is in the home is because of the statistics that I just shared. Those are not made-up numbers. Those are real. Those are faces. Those are kids. These are things that are happening every single day. And no matter what our culture is saying about what the family unit can be and what it can look like, we look at these numbers and they don't lie. No. So we can make up whatever we want to make up Mm -hmm. about the family unit. We can say whatever we want to say. We can try to be progressive to fit certain, you know, people's lifestyles. But at the end of the day, this is what's happening mm-hmm. to kids who are growing up in fatherless homes. Yep, yep. And and like she was saying, like these these are faces. These aren't just numbers. Like this is not just a percentage of people. Like this isn't just a baseline number. Like this is just a supporting number to to make aware to people. Like this is what is happening. Like these are the faces of of kids that are struggling with this because of the enemy breaking down those family units that they had because of the enemy getting into their homes and taking away those parents from them. And, and it's a, it honestly, like I was telling Celeste earlier, like it gives me goosebumps when I, when I read these, because not only like are some of these true for my life and I'm included in that statistic, but also I just see how clear and and how prominent is, especially nowadays that the enemy is out there just seeking ways to steal destroy and just kill those things that are so necessary Mm -hmm. to to kids development in life because he knows how pivotal he knows how impactful and he knows how much of a paving way they are going to make in the next generation so he wants nothing to do more than take people away from them that's going to teach them how to do that and give them direction to do that away from their lives yeah and brent and i talk all the time about how we want to raise our kids because I think at this point we want a herd of kids. Oh, I yeah. Think, <laughs> I think once we start having them, we're just going to start popping them out. But um, we've talked a lot about how we want to raise our family, especially because we're, you know, we both work in the ministry mm-hmm. and we have, we say over and over again, our marriage is our number one ministry. Yeah, yeah. This is our number one ministry right here. When we have kids, our family, its that's not going to change. Mm-hmm. That is our number one ministry is to our home, to our children, because that's where everything stems from. Yes. That's where legacy stems from. Yeah. That's where um, generations to come stem from is through your family, mm-hmm. like right around your dinner table. That yep. is your number one area of ministry that has to be a priority because and this is a little this is more ministry related but you can take hundreds of thousands of people to heaven with you but if your family isn't standing right there with you then none of that matters yeah and so the intent of this episode is not to shame fathers or put them down for doing a poor job in fact 
I think it's a little bit of an oxymoron to expect men to rise up and be better fathers, better husbands, better human beings in Mm -hmm. general, when our culture literally has a megaphone in their face telling them how much they failed. Right. Um, how wrong they're doing, how women, women, (laughs) (laughs) how women are actually superior Mm -hmm. to them and how much they suck and are just like the scum of the earth and then be like, oh, by the way, be a better father. Right. Like stand up, Mm -hmm. do, do better, but you suck. You know, it's like, it's a little abusive, you know? Yep. So, um, that's not the intent of this episode at all. It's actually just to share how culturally relevant, Mm -hmm. Um, this topic is and how fathers being absent in the home is affecting so much more than you actually think it is. Yep. Um, it's affecting our culture. It's affecting a lot of the movements that we see now. Mm -hmm. Um, and unfortunately these statistics of the drug use and the suicides and just the, the things that we're seeing, even just sexual confusion. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah how that is affecting not having fathers in the home is affecting our culture that we all live in today mm-hmm. whether you do have a father and you're or you know you do have a relationship with your father or or you don't mm-hmm. and honestly when we were talking about the statistics earlier we were reading over them and even everything we were just talking about every time i look at those statistics the only thing that i see are generational curses at work yeah and it's important to know that generational curses are not just some christian or bible word it's relevant in society it's relevant in culture in fact generational curse if you actually look up the definition and meaning of it it's actually just behavior that's either bad that's being passed down to the next generation yeah um behaviors that are patterns that that aren't that good or aren't producing those things that we really need in our society that are going to make a difference and that are going to make a change and when i'm looking at those i'm thinking about generation x i'm thinking about generation y i'm thinking about generation z in the effects of all of these things that are just keep keep being passed down yeah, we use the term generational curse a lot in the Christian mm-hmm. world, but it's actually worldwide. Yeah, yeah. It's not just isolated to yep. one people group. And it's and the the statistics and the facts just don't yes. lie yeah. on that. Yeah. And it's been said that your identity comes from your father's lineage and that 80% of your identity actually comes from your father. So it's obvious that we see an identity crisis in the next generation. And so what happens when a child grows up without their father in the home or grows up with an absent father in the home? Does that mean that they only have 20% of their identity and the rest is is a big question mark? I don't know. But, Sophia, can you speak to and kind of just share how growing up without a father has affected your identity and, and figuring out who you are? Right. Yeah. Um, I can speak a lot into that because for for those of you who have never met me or don't know me or don't know my story, um, one of my biggest turning points to Jesus was when my dad walked out of my life when I was 17 years old. That was truly my my turning point where where I, I turned to Jesus and I started to run after him with literally everything I had in me. Um, but growing up, I had a very emotionally absent father. Um, My parents separated when I was eight years old and they got a divorce. And, you know, we did the whole two houses thing. I I would go over to his house on the weekends and we'd do every other weekend. Sometimes he would pick me up from school. But as, you know, we went two months into this thing, I would would start to just get left places. Um, 
he would just not show up. He was never really around, but I was, I always wanted him there. I I had a hunger that always just wanted my dad around because he was a pivotal part in shaping me up until that point. You know, he was my soccer coach. I still have great memories of being with him and who he was. Um, But when it came to my identity in that point, when I got to the age of 17, what changed me in that moment when I walked into an empty house and I realized that my dad had actually left me for good was one of the big questions that popped into my head was, who am I? Mm-hmm. And because truthfully, up to that point, I had, I had been chasing someone. I, I had been chasing something. And in the midst of me chasing that, trying to figure out who I was, I was just losing myself in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize it until that moment. And it was that shifting point that actually made me feel very numb um, because I, I didn't really have anything left in me because of everything that I felt like I had left. And when I turned 17 and, and started following Jesus, one of the things that I even asked God when I first got saved, I was like, why did this happen to me? Um, yeah. And I asked God, I said, who am I? And he started pointing out verses and scriptures, but also one of the biggest things that I went through was learning how to grieve someone that I lost, but was still alive. Mm-hmm. And for, for my identity and shaping that and, and not having my dad around, grieving that person, remembering who he was, because to be honest, like there is a lot of my dad that is in me. <laughs> we're, we're the same height physically, but also a lot of our interests are the same. I, I was just telling Celeste a little bit ago before we started recording that I, I found this binder earlier this year. And, and when my dad had left, I had a lot of anger and still bitterness in me that I, I didn't even want to see his face. I didn't really want to talk about him because I just didn't know how to handle it yet that I just kind of blocked everything out. But I've went through a lot of healing over the past couple years. And now I, I want to read about him and I want to know more about him. And I had this binder and I interviewed him when I was in the fifth grade and I did like this whole biography project on him. But there are all these questions in there. And one of them was like, what, what's your favorite subject? What's your favorite color? What's something you feel like you're good at that you like to do a lot? And all of the answers lined up with every single answer that I would put in there. Like one of his favorite things to do was read and write. I, I love reading and writing. If you know me, I'm a creative, I'm crazy. Um, and, and one of the other things that he, he liked to do is he, he said he, he felt like he was good at was just telling his story and getting communities put together and being with people. And if anyone knows me, that's what I love to do. And really realizing and going through those things was so healing for, for my identity because I, I got to realize, I was like, man, like, a lot of who I am did come from my dad, but I'm, I'm different in so many ways from who he is. And I think one of the things that held me back a lot of the time and what I see in a lot of other, uh, other people that I talk to and try to relate to about this is there's such a fear attached to either becoming like my father for me or becoming like who he was that it was a fear of what happened to me. Mm -hmm. It was a fear of becoming that hurt or another fear of letting that hurt take over me because I remember what that felt like. I remember how isolating it was and I remember how numbing it was. And I I think so much that when you have a general fear of something, you just want to run away from it. Mm -hmm. And and I found myself when I when I first tried to figure out how how am I going to get through this? I remember asking God when when I first got saved. I got saved when I was 18, so it was right after this happened. I remember asking God like how how am I going to get over my dad? How am I going to get through this because I truly don't even know where to start. Like I I don't know where to start inside of me because literally if if someone could see 
internally what was happening, it was just a bunch of pieces just everywhere, Mm -hmm. like completely shattered. I was starting from ground zero and I had no idea what to do. So I, I ran away from the hurt. I ran away from that pain. And what I realized when I ran away from that stuff was I was actually running away from the healing that God was trying to work in me. Yeah. I was actually running away from the very thing that he was going to use to turn my whole life around. And I was, I was talking to Celeste about this earlier um, because when I first got coffee with Celeste, one of the first times we were talking, I was talking to her about my situation with my, with my dad and what had happened because it was still very fresh. It, it, it still just, it just happened to me. And I was talking to her and I was trying to release some of my emotions and feelings about it. And really, I was in a processing state. And I remember she looked at me because Celeste's story, when she was 17, her dad passed away and she lost him. But when I was telling her my story and everything that I was feeling, she looked at me and she said, you know, this might not make sense, but you're trying to grieve someone who's still alive and you have permission to do that. Yeah. And that just that really just awakened something in me and released something in me where it was like in that moment, I really realized that I had permission to grieve. And to be honest, like grieving, like grief does not have a guide, but it does have a God. Your feelings, your feelings are so different every day, especially if you're a girl who's going through losing a dad. And that means like if he's walked out of your life, if he's emotionally absent, if you still live in the same home as him, but you haven't talked to him in two weeks, Mm -hmm. it's all the same thing. He's not there. You have permission to grieve that person. You have permission to feel whatever feeling it is that you want to, whether that's anger or sadness Mm -hmm. or, or bitterness or unforgiveness, whatever that is for you, feel it through because God is on the other side of that emotion that he wants to walk through with you because he taught me. He was like, I'm not going to let you get over this. I'm just going to walk with you through this. And that gave me an opportunity to really, really see God at work because I was at um, a fall colors week when we used to do them. And Celeste, again, shoved a microphone in my face and asked me to do do a session. (laughs) And I was like writing something up and I was really praying about what I wanted to speak about. And I I found myself that morning, I got to the church at like 6 a.m. and God completely told me to change everything I was saying. And he told me, I want you to talk about your dad. In that given moment, I had not really talked about my dad to anyone except for Celeste. I would not really opened up about that story because honestly, I was like, I don't feel like I'm equipped to even talk about this. Like, I don't feel like I I can speak about this at all because like it hurts so much. Um, But God told me to and I I got up on that stage not even knowing where this was going to hit or if it was going to make sense to anyone (laughs) because it felt honestly (laughs) just like an outpour of emotion for me. And I got up there. I did like 20 minutes and I got down. And honestly, when I got down from the stage, I felt so discouraged. I had no idea what I even said. And I was on my way walking out the back door to like grab something to drink and calm myself down when a youth leader ran up behind me and grabbed my arm right before I walked through the door. And she said, did you plan to say that? And I was like, absolutely not. I was like, how did you like have even notion to feel like I I wasn't orchestrated to say that that day? And she was like, I don't know if you know this, but there's a girl sitting like in the front row who just went through this this week. And in that moment, 
I realized how much my story actually spoke. Mm-hmm. Because up until then, I was convinced that all my story would speak was abandonment, fear, hurt, pain, and loss. Because to me, that's what it was speaking. But what you don't realize is that to someone else, to that one person, it's speaking to them that they are seen, that they are heard, right. that they are validated, that what they're going through is in fact actually happening, and that there is something else out there for them, that there is actually more life to experience than just what they're going through in that given moment. And it it was really hard, like I said, but you have to understand that there's always one person that when you speak your story, that even though all the statistics that we read earlier speak all of those things like mental illness, suicide, and all of those things that we are going through that are super heavy, your story speaks so much louder than those statistics that are out there. Yeah. And you know what? That's so powerful. And honestly, I feel like anytime I've ever helped crack open a door for someone of freedom or healing I've never felt good about it after yeah yeah (laughs) that's so true I've always just felt like oh my gosh I'm so exposed and Mm -hmm. um I suck and I just like aired out my dirty laundry to everyone and for what like it's it's so humiliating yeah (laughs) um yeah so it's funny you say that because I feel like anytime I've ever done that I've never walked away and just been like "Mm." yeah man I've walked away and been like, I'm, I feel not great. And I think that's, (laughs) yeah, for real though. I think that's something that like your willingness to be transparent Mm -hmm. allows other people to be transparent. And even though it is a little bit humbling and humiliating, yeah. um, to the extent that you're willing to be open about your story can often be the make or break of whether or not someone is going to get free. Yeah, truly, truly. So what, when you were processing all of this and walking through all of this um, with your dad and trying to figure out your identity and just like asking God those questions of who am I, um, what lies do you think that you believed from the enemy that now you know are not true and have been able to find the truth? One of the biggest lies that I found myself believing so much when I was younger, more so I recognized it when I got older and even into my adult years, was when I was younger, I felt like I was just so unwanted. I I Mm. felt so unloved. I felt so by myself. And I would think about sometimes when when I think about this lie in general, I'm brought back to these flashbacks and memories of my younger self, either when I was at school or even when I was at my dad's house. And I would just find myself sitting on a front porch waiting for someone to show up mm. and have carrying that burden around of someone just not showing up in your life was honestly one of the heaviest ones that I had to that I had to figure out how to give that up and really mm. how to get through that. Because um, when when you when you truly believe and want someone to love you so bad, you will go to the furthest extents just to get that. Mm-hmm. And that hunger of not having a father is still something that that's in my heart and still something that I have to I have to mourn and I have to grieve and I have to process through that sometimes. It's something that doesn't go away. But that's okay because there's room in God's love love for you mm-hmm. to grieve. There's room in yeah. God's love for you to mourn. And there's room in God's love for you to not be okay. That's so good. And, and he takes you to the furthest of places. And I just believe that lie drilled me down so hard and made me feel like such an object in society. And for so many women 
in young girls that I talk to and see walking around, it's just such an orphan state of mind that they just end up living in. And for me, I lived in an orphan state of mind for years. Mm. It's such human nature to want to be wanted, to Mm -hmm. desire to be wanted. Even when both your parents love you and want you, it's still human nature to want to be wanted, let alone Mm -hmm. when one of them doesn't. Yeah. And I think... Like what you were saying earlier, Sophia, about just how you can still want to be wanted by someone who treats you poorly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it just goes to show for... I I touched on the hunger of wanting a father earlier. And it's a deep-rooted hunger. And I think, like you were saying, my my relationship with my dad was, was nowhere near healthy at all. In fact, it's the definition of a toxic relationship and I remember striving to do anything and everything because there was actually nothing that I could do in my own power to restore it so I had to compensate in a different way and I I I tried to control that and do it on my own and if that required me to give him money I gave him money if that required me to pick him up from a bar at 3am I was in my car and I was picking him up from a bar at 3am because I cared for him so much that I I just did anything to hear out yeah. of his mouth one time. I I care about you, and I, I love you, and I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. But none of the things that I was ever doing would ever lead to that moment. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so, like, it's so important to understand that you do have permission to grieve. Yeah. yeah. Yep. A relationship. Because, to be honest, like, I wish I could say, oh, I wish I could tell everybody listening, hey, there's so much hope that, mm. you know, your relationship with your dad is going to, right. it's going to be completely fine. Yeah. You're going to end up at a place that is just perfect and you guys right. are going to mm-hmm. overcome everything mm-hmm. and you're going to, but um, that's not the case for this earthly experience that we yeah. have here. Yeah. Um, we have free will, and people are going to make their own decisions. They're going to, um, they're going to hurt people. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it's so important to understand. Okay, you have to come to a place where you realize my relationship with my father, or maybe it's your mother. Yeah, yeah. My relationship with my parent may never look like what I want it to look like. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a good chance that it won't. But what do I do with that? Mm-hmm. So I have one more question for you, and then we'll land this plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, how do you grieve someone who's still alive? What does that look like? Like I was talking about earlier, when I had that conversation with Celeste, and she told me that, you know, this seems like a lot of grief, and you just need permission to grieve— I believe that's one of the first things that you need in order to start grieving someone because it can be confusing Mm -hmm. to think like, like my dad is still alive. He's somewhere out there. He's still alive and he's still walking. But what you have to understand is that you are, you're, you have to mourn and you have to grieve a person who you once knew because I remember so many good memories. Like my dad used to be my soccer coach. I used to sneak down on the couch with him at midnight and watch the Mike and Mike show on ESPN while eating 
pretzels just because I wanted to spend time with him. And I, I remember that, remember that dad and you have to give yourself permission to grieve. And then another thing is that you have to allow yourself to remember the good memories. You have to allow yourself to remember those good things about that person. Because a lot of the times when, when something really bad has happened to you, when you're trying to get through either a hard relationship, a hard circumstance or hard situation, all you can focus on is that pain and that hurt. And a lot of the times, honestly, the pain and the hurt, it can come from that terrible thing that happened to you. But for me, a lot of my pain and a lot of hurt came from those good memories I had with him that I wasn't allowing myself to remember because it hurt so bad because I missed I missed that father so bad in my life. Yeah. And I had to allow myself to remember those good memories about him. I feel like that's so key because that's where... I mean, honestly, when it comes to my relationship with my dad, I don't really have any bad memories. Mm. But there is so much pain attached to those good memories and attached to just those things that... That's what you grieve. Yeah. You grieve those moments. You you grieve the the bad moments, too. But there's so much pain in those good memories. And it is such a part of the healing process. And even when you were talking about give yourself permission, I think... As I've gotten older, there have been so many moments in my life where I've thought, you know, because my dad passed away when I was 17, Mm -hmm. so it's been over 10 years ago, and there's been so many moments where I've said to myself, like, you're an adult now. You should not, you Mm. should not be here. Mm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you should be past this. Mm. You shouldn't cry about that. Or it reminded me of when my friend had a baby, and... I went to see her in the hospital and her her parents were there and her dad walked in and like kissed her on the head and told her that he was so proud of her. This was only like two years ago and um, it like triggered me into a spiral. I mean, it ripped my heart out. And I kept, I was trying to sit there and tell myself like, get it together, get it together. This today is not about you, Celeste. It is not about you. And so I'm like trying to breathe through it. I'm trying not to say anything. And then this is like, I can laugh about it now, but somebody handed me their phone to take a picture of my friend with her mom and dad and the baby. And I literally, I was like, no, I was like, oh God. So they handed me the phone and I like take it and I'm holding it and I cannot breathe mm-hmm. because I'm trying so hard not to yeah. sob. Yeah, just swallow and it. And so thankfully my sister was in the room with me mm-hmm. and I just handed the phone to my sister and walked to the bathroom. And you know that silent sob that you do because you're Ugh. so trying. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, crying yeah. so hard. And I, I couldn't get together and I had to leave. Mm-hmm. And I was I was absolutely humiliated. I felt horrible because the truth is that day was not about me. Right. It was about my friend. And mm-hmm. I was there to celebrate her and her baby. But I had this whole, like this horrible emotional breakdown, yeah. and I beat myself up about that for a mm-hmm. long time, mm-hmm. and just feeling so humiliated and so embarrassed um, because I didn't feel like I had room right. to do that, right. and I didn't have grace on myself wow. for that. And looking back now, I can see that I needed to give myself yep. permission for yep. that. I needed to have grace on my if I had to do over of course I don't want to make a scene (laughs) like yeah of course I don't want that to happen um but I'm able because it did 
and it was something that was completely out of my control. In fact, I told one of my friends, I said, like one of my friends who was there visiting Mm -hmm. with me, I said, I want you to know that that didn't happen to me. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was just as surprised by that. Like that was not me. That happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and just allowing myself to have grace for myself for, for those moments. And just that, that permission to, it's, it's okay that you're sad that you see your friend whose dad is there with her when she welcomes her baby into the world. Yep. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's okay to feel deep, deep sorrow over that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and giving yourself permission to grieve is such a huge and pivotal point of that. And that brings me to the last thing that I have to say about just how how to grieve that person that's not around anymore, even if they still might be living and and be around. One of the things that I put down, and this is, I believe, one of the most pivotal ones besides the past two things we just talked about, is just share your story. Mm -hmm. I think many times throughout even this conversation alone, We've been using times where we've even shared our story. We've heard someone's story and it just broke something in us. It, it set something free in us. And I think it's important to understand that like when, when I told you about, when I told you guys about like I was on that stage during a Colors Weekend conference and I felt so unequipped. I felt so almost like embarrassed. Like I exposed. had, yeah, like so exposed. Like I had yeah. no idea what I was saying. And honestly, it kind of like hurt when I got off that stage. I felt so discouraged. But it's important to know this, that when you share your story and the reason why you don't have to feel like you have to be equipped for it is because one, God equips you to share it because he already wrote it. But second is like, for me, I don't share my story because it is an answer to your situation. I don't share my story because it's an answer to your circumstance. I share my story because it's my salvation and it could be the very thing that sets someone free. It could be the very thing that someone needs to hear in order to feel seen, to feel validated, and to feel heard at where they're at in their life. Yeah, and I think that's why the Bible says we overcome Mm -hmm. by the blood of the Lamb, which is the finished work on the cross, Yep, and the word of our testimony, which is our story. Yeah, yeah. We overcome. Yeah. Me, you, us, I, all of us. Yes. (laughs) We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony and just sharing that story. Yeah. Well, we are about out of time with this episode, but thank you, Sophia, for being on. No, thank you. With thank me today. you. I don't have a serious bone in my body when it comes. Neither of us do. That's why it's taken thank us so long. Thank you for being on this episode today. <laughs> um, but I have some very exciting news that none of you are ready for nobody i am so 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 excited to tell everyone that sophia is launching her own podcast yes on september 20th yep which is her birthday yes so she is launching a podcast on her birthday it is going to be incredible i am so excited in fact i'm have probably done the same thing with you with this podcast that I have when I shove that mic in your face. Yeah, yeah. She, she really, honestly, she holds me accountable for everything. That's why I keep her around. <laughs> I'm like, let's get a date on this. Okay. Yeah. September 20th? Yeah, you're like, um, I'm like, yeah, September 20th. What, what no one doing. knows is that Celeste is my manager. <laughs> <laughs> I am your manager. Yes. Um, but no, I'm so excited. Honestly, this podcast is going to be incredible. It's going to be something that I think is for everyone, but also specifically for the next generation. 
something that if you're listening and you're on your way to school or you're on your way home from school or you're running on the track field, whatever it is, something that you can listen to and you're going to be encouraged. You're going to learn things that you didn't know before. So I'm very excited about that. Am I allowed to say the title? Okay. Or do you want to wait? No, you can You can release it. Okay, so the title of um, Sophia's podcast is called This Is. And I cannot wait to hear it September 20th, guys. That is the date. Mark your calendar. September 20th is going to be a day in friggin' history. Okay? <laughs> it's going to be awesome. So, oh so, so excited about that. Thank you. Thank, but you. thank you again for being on. And stay tuned for episode 11. Thanks for listening today. And if you'd like to be notified when a new episode is released, you can subscribe to this podcast and follow me on Instagram at Celeste underscore Ely.